you want to have the best summer ever, I encourage you, be a part of this series. Watch online. If you're in town, be here at church. And understand that we're trying to give you tools to help you see how can I make sure that I exit this season stronger and more rested than I've ever been before. Put your hands together this morning. Welcome Pastor Brandon as he gives us part one of our series, Best Summer Ever. Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, I got to tell you, um, I like playing drums and preaching. It kind of gets you energized, so you like, it's like a uh, pre-workout uh, for those of you who don't work out, so if you're like me, like, you don't know what a pre-workout is, so you just say it and hope that people actually know what you mean, because I don't do it, so uh, anyway, anyway, I'm just going to be real here this morning. Uh, I'm really excited to, to share with you this morning, and I feel like something uh, God's put on my heart, number one. Uh, this is here on purpose, right? I'm not just, I'm not just uh, going to clean the table or my uh, screen on my laptop, anything like that. But I do want to tell you this morning, it is, it is fairly important to me, um, the honor of being able to, to speak and really to be able to stand on this platform. And I just want to honor Pastor Dave and Pastor Tara. They've entrusted not just myself, but multiple people here at the Avenue with uh, really the privilege of being able to share God's word. And so this morning, I take it seriously. But I also want you to know this morning that I don't take myself too seriously. I always try to have a lot of fun, and I want, you, I want to be transparent, because really I want to model for you the idea of being in process. And that's really my goal, and Pastor Dave does this so well, and he's, he's always transparent and always opens up his life and shares what's going on in his life so that you can be able to see this, right, that there is a standard, there is a goal, there is a place we're trying to get to, but we have to be honest in where we're at, and where we're at matters. So this morning, let me start with this. Uh, how many of you guys have any glass doors in your house? Anybody? We got a few of you. All right. So you guys know what happens, right? The whole school year happens, right? And everything's good. Everything's clean. It stays nice during the day. And then day one of summer, right, what happens? Those kids, I don't know how they do it, but they get fingerprints all over that glass, all over it. And so you look at it, and you, just, you, you don't ever say it out loud to them, or you try not to, because... You know that in your heart it's really sarcastic, right? It's really cynical, so you, really, you don't really want to say it. But you, all, you do have this thought of, do you not know what the handle is for? Do you not understand that there is a place on that, on that door that you can actually grab that it doesn't leave a fingerprint? Like, it actually, it, believe it or not, kids, it doesn't leave a fingerprint. You grab it, and you slide it, and then afterwards you look at the glass, it's still clean. It's still clean. I, I know it's like ShamWow magic, right? You guys remember ShamWow? You're like, Sh you guys know, right? It's like that magical. You open it, no fingerprints. You close it, no fingerprints. But you know what's interesting? When you got kids and they're touching all the glass after you're trying to keep it clean, you just keep thinking, oh, my God, how much Windex do we need to buy to keep this house clean? But what's interesting is this. At some point, those kids go back to school. And then at some point, those kids graduate, right, Aaron? Once they graduate, you start seeing a few less fingerprints, right? And then at some point, you start seeing a whole lot less fingerprints. And then at some point, the glass just stays clean. But the house gets a whole lot quieter, doesn't it? That house gets a whole lot quieter. And what I want to talk to you about this morning as we open up Best Summer Ever is this. It's perspective. You see, in life, we have the ability to see glass as just dirty, right? As an annoyance, as something that is not really something that we really want to deal with, okay? Not something that I'm really actually 
interested in bothering with. Just kind of get it out. Of my, let's move past it. Let's move past it. Let's get it out of the way. Almost as though there's no reason or no importance to it. And what I want to tell you this morning is this. There is importance to it. In the, in the monotony of life, right? There is importance to it. There's importance in the season that we're in. And what was so interesting to me this morning is, as Brian shared his heart, the, the battles and the struggles that people are facing, knowing that God is with us in, in this, and then what Pastor Dave shared this morning as we transitioned out of worship, it just reinforced to me this idea that we are in process. So let me talk to you, talk to you guys about something that I really love, golf, right? How many of you guys are golfers? Anybody? Golfers. All right, raise them high. Be proud. Like, even if you're a scrub golfer, it's okay. It's okay. We don't have to tell anybody your score, right? We know that you lost all of the 24 balls that you bought when you went to Academy and you bought, like, the little little economy pack, right? Those, every single one, you lost every single one. It's okay. Listen, the golf course is not mad at you, right? They're not mad at you. Now, there might be some, like, squirrels that are mad at you and some other animals that are mad at you or some other golfers, but golf is fun. And uh, my dad actually got me into, into golf. I started playing in right after I graduated. It was actually a really, for me, I thought it was a funny story. You may not think it is, but we were going on a missions trip as a young adults group. And so in this process, you guys know if you've ever been on a missions trip, it's expensive, right? It is expensive. And so you're trying to find any way you can to raise money. So we were doing that. We came up with the idea, let's do a golf tournament. We didn't know what we were doing. We were like, let's just do it and see what happens. And it ended up being a uh, pretty, pretty decent fundraiser, really big success. And in the process of it, they said, you can either play in the tournament or you can work in the tournament. And I thought, well, playing in the tournament sounds like fun, except for I don't know how to play golf. So uh, we went there and we played. And can I tell you, if you've never played golf before, your expectations once you get on the course, let's just be honest, they're pretty low, right? They're, they're pretty low. You're just thinking, don't embarrass yourself. Don't get hurt. Don't drive the, car, the golf cart in the water, right? Don't run over anybody. Those are, those are your expectations, right? So all that happens, guys, I got to tell you. So bunch of semi-professional golfers out there, I end up hitting the shot of my life, end up, end up winning the long drive contest, okay? Like as an 18-year-old, uh, I won the long drive contest. People actually, dad, right? People thought that I cheated. They're like, he had to have cheated. My dad was there with me. My dad knows it was the luckiest shot of my life, right? I totally mishit it. I was trying to hit it this way, and it goes that way, but it just happened to be that the whole shape that way, and it ended up being a really lucky shot. So I don't remember what I won, but after, needless to say, after that shot, I was hooked, right? I'm like, I love golf. Let's do golf some more. Let's do golf a lot. How often can we do golf? As often as we can, uh, as we can afford it. So golf is really addictive in the fact that you hit one shot and you magically think you're Tiger Woods, right? And if you, got, you, guys got, you guys know, you guys know, you hit that one drive and you're like, that's it. I'm the best driver in the entire world and then you get up there and you hit that approach shot and you put it within like five feet of the hole and you literally you know you all do it you throw the club you throw your hands up in the air you do like the big celebration moment and there's everybody else there they know that this is totally a fluke it's a lucky shot way to go buddy you did it do it again right and you know you can't do it again so you just celebrate it it's a great moment in your life you celebrate it, you go up there, you look around, you're like, where are the cameras so we can record this? Like, people should be applauding, all that good stuff, right? And then in the process of it, you realize, probably can't do that again, even if I wanted to. But it keeps you coming back. It keeps you coming back. So you hit a good shot, and suddenly you're the next Tiger Woods, and when you adopt this mentality, 
You don't embrace the idea of growth as a process. You make it very linear, bad to good, wrong to right, amateur to professional. Come on, somebody. And as people who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, a very linear process, right? A very finite, done, established, settled thing. It could be excruciatingly painful to have to grow and discover the thing that God chooses to work in and out of us over time, right? Because God settled that thing. He did that thing, and yet he will spend the rest of our lives shaping and working and tweaking and changing and molding and making you into the person that he has called you to be. One thing done in one moment and one thing done over the course of my lifetime. Very, very different. And if we, if we think that everything that God wants to do in our life is supposed to happen immediately, the only thing it can create in you is a frustration and really a disdain for life. Because you will think in terms, you, you will treat it like it's the DMV. How many of you guys have been the DMV? You know, you go in there, you get your number, and you sit there, and you get tortured just like everybody else waiting for those numbers to come up like every seven minutes. And finally, they get to you like two and a half hours later, and they are not happy to talk to you. They don't want to talk to you. They just see you as a number. They don't really care what your name is. Just hand me your driver's license or your papers. They don't really like you. They're just doing their job. Just We don't need to talk. That's the whole thing. And we treat life like it's that, like it's torture. God, if you would just hurry up and get me to this next place. And perspective requires of us that we have the ability to see the good right now, in spite of what good there isn't right now. We have to find it right now. So today, as we talk about perspective, Scriptures, I want to look at the dynamics of the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Many of you are familiar with the Apostle Paul, and many of you are, are familiar with Timothy, who ended up being a leader in the church and really a, an influential, not just young man, but an adult who influenced and really caused the work that Paul did not just to be sustained, but to grow. And so, in other words, he did something that followed in the footsteps of somebody else. In other words, he didn't have to recreate the wheel. He just had to find the wheel and keep the wheel rolling and make sure it rolled better and faster, more efficient. In other words, Timothy took what Paul did and continued it and made it better. We see the introduction, really, of Timothy in Acts, Acts 16.1. It says this. It says, Paul came to Derby and Lystra, where a follower named Timothy lived, Timothy's mother was Jewish and a believer, but his father was a Greek. And the believers in Lystra and Iconium respected Timothy and said good things about him. Can I just tell you, Paul was looking for somebody that he didn't have to convince that they wanted to do this. He was looking for somebody that said, I'm in and I'm ready, even though they weren't ready. In Timothy's mind, he thought he was ready. Paul would say, well, you got a good heart. And I believe God's got something inside of you, but we got to get this thing worked out. we got to shape this thing. And Paul ultimately becomes, in a sense, kind of a father figure to Timothy. And we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. It says this. It says, To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Then we see, how, however, that, that Timothy ends up really following and modeling Paul's ministry. In other words, he sees Paul's life 
and, and his work that he has done to establish the kingdom of God. And he patterns himself, his own ministry after this. There in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10 through 11, it says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endure, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In other words, Timothy just starts out, and then Timothy becomes a son. And then Timothy not just becomes a son, but is moving more along the lines of an adult son, right? To where they're moving to become more like peers, more like their coworkers. And then we see in Romans 16, we see this reiterated. 1621 of Romans, it says this. It says, Timothy, my coworker, sends his greetings to you. To, to you. As do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. See, Paul and Timothy both had to grow for the benefit, number one, of each other and for the benefit of the church as a whole. We pray with me this morning. Jesus, thank you. You're so good to us. You're so faithful. God, we thank you for the work that you've done in us. God, I thank you for the words that have been shared this morning. God, words of exhortation, God, to be able to... God, to be able to challenge us, but to remind us, God, that, that in this moment, God, we are not alone. God, that we have not been abandoned. God, that the struggles and the adversities that we face, God, that they are not final, but God, you are with us in this season, and God, you are fighting with us for victory. And God, we just see it this morning so clearly. And God, I pray today, God, as I open up your word and as I share this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would do exactly what you want, and you would cause these seeds that are, that are scattered today to be able to grow exactly as you want them to. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I got three points this morning. I'm going to try to hit them. We're going to roll because here's the deal. It's Sunday. I love it, but I'm going to tell you, I love my goal always is this. My goal is to always end before my allotted time. Always. You know why? Because I believe this. People want to come back for more. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to get this thing. And so I can't, I can't guarantee you it's going to happen, but I'm going to try. So I'm watching that clock right there. I'm watching that clock. So i got three points this morning as we dive into, into Paul and Timothy's life and looking at how they model perspective. Number one, we got to recognize the season. Number two, we got to find the peace. And number three, got to manage your expectations. Or as uh, one of my favorite characters and one of my favorite, uh, favorite shows, she would say, manage your expectations. So as in the uh, Parks and Rec and Treat Yourself. You know who I'm talking about. So uh, anyway, because you've got to manage your expectations. So one of the most deceptive parts of life, in my opinion, is not being able to recognize what season you are in. When you don't know what season you are in, you go off the map. It's wild. It's, it is a free-for-all. It is a wild west of not just emotions, but of expectations and, and what should be and what shouldn't be. Church, we don't wear winter coats in August. Come on now, it's Texas. We don't even wear winter coats in December uh, sometimes. And so we definitely, we might wear shorts on Christmas. We might not, but if we might wear shorts on Christmas with a jacket. That's just how we roll here in Texas. But you get the point. So let me ask you this. If you're a hunter, do you know when hunting season starts? Any hunters in here? 
Right, you know when hunting season starts, right? No one, no, does anyone have to tell you when hunting season starts? Why is that? Because you care about hunting, right? Because you care about hunting, you do what? You do the work to find out what date it actually starts. Now, if you're like me and you don't care about hunting, I don't care about hunting. And so I don't care when it starts and someone says, yeah, I can't wait for hunting season to start. I'm like, that's great. I hope you have fun and, and shoot whatever you're trying to shoot and, and I guess kill it and do whatever you do to it. But I mean, I hope you enjoy it and have, have a good time with it. But it's great. I don't care about hunting. And because I don't, I don't care when hunting season starts. Or if you're a fisherman like me, you know when the catfish are biting. Right, Dad? We know, we know a couple of things. What is it, Dad? It said, uh, it said basically, um, wind from the east, fishing's the least, wind from, wind from the best, uh, fishing's the best, right? So how do I know that stupid saying? It's because my dad said that to me all my life. And so I'm out there, like, doing the little thing, like, trying to figure out, you know, like the, uh, you know, like, wait, which, which one is that? I'm, I'm out there in the boat doing that, to, trying to manage my expectations, right? Are we going to catch fish today, or are we just going to get, a, get a, a, hook, a hook wet? What are we going to do today? But I know when it's good to catch, catch fish, or you football aficionados. No one has to tell you when college football starts, right? No one has to say, has to say hey, make sure you go and check the schedule to make sure you have plans for college football or NFL, you know when it starts. No one has to tell you because you care about it. You care about it. You guys get this. We understand intuitively that seasons change. Growing up, I used to hate when August came around. You know why? Because that meant we had to go back to school soon. I used to hate that. And I know some of you, my, it's, okay, moment of transparency here. All of my kids love school, which I'm very grateful for. I'm grateful to, to God for. But if I'm being honest, I can't understand that. I, I just don't get it. Because the moment the summer started for me, I was ready to go romp around the neighborhood, ride my bike, ride my skateboard, go ride the ditches, ride the bayous. If we had a go-kart, we'd go ride, run the roads. We would do it all. I tried to stay, be gone as long as humanly possible from my house. What time does the sun come up? Okay, that's cool. I think we can leave, get on our bikes and leave then, and let's be home. What time does the sun come down? I don't know. I guess we'll figure it out once it gets dark, and we'll drive home. So what time will you be home? I don't know. Maybe when it's dark. And that's what I did as a kid. But my kids are like, man, I cannot wait for school to start again. I'm like, really? Like, I mean, you know, and you don't want to, like, down that because you're like, that's great. I'm glad that you want to go to school. But, like, it's kind of like, seriously? Like, you, you really cannot wait? And they're like, no. I cannot wait to go back to school, Dad. I'm like, all right then. You must have got that from your mama. But I used to hate when, when August came around because it meant it was almost time to go back to school. But even then, even though I didn't like it, I knew it was coming. And so I could, I could prepare for it. I could embrace it. I, I, what, I, what I would do is I would make sure I'd go ride more skateboard ramps because back in the day I thought I was Tony Hawk. I was not. Um, that was fact. Right? But I thought I was. I thought I was, and I had a cool skateboard like him, and I was going to do all the tricks until I got hurt, and then you realize you can't ride a skateboard on gravel. It doesn't work well. But you know what? You have to manage your expectations there, too. But when you don't understand the seasons, your expectations don't line up. And you either do this. You either push too hard, too fast, or you give up too early because it isn't fully there yet. And this is what we do a lot of times life because we don't understand the season we cannot be patient in it there was a long time in my life and some of you know this I served as 
um, in different pastoral roles through the years. But my first opportunity to ever have, we served at a at a church in Pensacola, Florida, and we we were the student ministries pastors and loved it. So many great students and so many great times there. And what I realized, I was the young guy on the staff. Everybody else was over 50. And I realized I was in such a hurry that I really frustrated everybody on that team. I frustrated everybody on the team because you have to think they were 50, right? They were moving at a different pace. Most of their kids were out of the house. They were all trying to move, move forward with a different thing. We didn't even have kids yet. So I'm like, I got all the time in the world. Can we stay here till seven, eight? Let's do that. Let's work weekends. Let's go do this. And they were like, home slice, you have to slow down because we are not interested in working like that. And I really frustrated my team because I couldn't understand that I was in a season that was really different than what they were. And because I couldn't recognize it, I thought they were just being lazy. I thought they were being just resistant, in a sense, to what God was doing, right? That's what I believed. Young, naive, arrogant, right? I thought, God's trying to do something here, and if y'all would just listen to me, I would help you, and we would see God move. Now, that was false, just so for the record. I was wrong. I was dumb, right? I was all of those things, but in my mind, I was convinced, God, if they would just jump on board, we could, see, we could change this entire region. All I need is for them to not be lazy, you guys can see it. You can see the arrogance there, right? You can see that. But my expectations didn't line up with everybody else because I couldn't understand that I was in a season of maturity. I was in a season where I needed to listen and not talk. But because I like to talk, I ignored what the Holy Spirit was saying to me, even different people in my life when they tried to tell me. I listened just long enough for them to shut up so that I could talk, if I'm being honest. Just long enough, because I couldn't understand that God was trying to grow me. I thought that God had grown me, and that's why he'd given me the opportunity, not understanding he had given me the opportunity and placed me there so that I could sit with people who could help me, who could mature me, who could actually speak into my life and tell me some things that would actually help me. But because I was arrogant and because I was unwilling to be teachable, I made it more difficult for them, and I made it more difficult for myself. I burned bridges. And we see, for the most part, we see in Timothy's life that he didn't do this with Paul. Now, I can believe, like every parental relationship, there is no perfect child, right? We understand that. There is no perfect child. If, if you believe that they are, then they're somebody else's child. That's the truth, right? Because you don't live with them, and you don't see their stuff. But if you live with them, you understand they got stuff right? They have challenges. They have insecurities. They have hurts. They have character failings. They have things that need to be changed and grown. And that's why God put them in your home to help you help them. But we have to understand the season. Second thing we got to figure out, we got to find the pace, find the pace. Any runners in here? All right, we got a couple. There, there you go. So pace is defined as this, a unit of length representing the distance between two successive steps in walking or running. It measures, plain and simple. So my oldest ran cross country for the last two years, and um, if I'm being really transparent with you, I didn't know how to help him. I, I was just like, buddy, I, I love you. Do your best. 
try hard, go get it. Because I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner. Maybe I, sh- I, I should be a runner, but I'm not. Jesus help me. Uh, but I didn't know how to help him. And so over the years, he's figured a few things out. Number one, if you're too fast, you won't last. And number two, you're too slow, you don't grow. Too fast, you don't last. And too slow, you don't grow. And because pace is defined as something, as a measurement, it requires that there's a clear starting line and a clear finish line. Does that make sense? In other words, how do you, if you have a tape measure, you need a set of parameters for something in order to be able to measure it, right? If you just stretch out the, if you could just stretch out the tape measure on the ground and you just pick a random place to measure, yeah, you're like, there you go, it's seven inches. But in a sense, you need a defined measurement. Otherwise, you just stretch the, the tape measure out, and it's as long as it is, right? And so in a sense, you need an opportunity or you need metrics or dynamics in order to measure things. In life, when we outpace ourselves, we go beyond our preparation. Talk about preparation. It's this. Preparation is what you do before someone asks you to do it. Students, let me just be real candid with you. Some of you are waiting for God to do something that God's waiting on you to do something. In other words, God wants to do something in you, and he's already told you about it, and you're waiting for him to give answer B, and he's saying refer to answer A. Okay? Go back to A. Go back to 1. Start over. Go back there. And when you do that, when you settle that, then things will get cleared up. Things will get easier. But when we outpace ourselves or when we, when we run too fast, we go beyond our preparation. In other words, we got there too early. Success, I've heard it said, is this. It's the place where preparation meets opportunity. Have you ever been in, had a situation in life where you had an opportunity and you get there and you realize, I am not prepared for this? Anybody? That is a humbling feeling, isn't it? And there is a fine line, I believe, in God's kingdom. And Pastor Dave will will validate this. Many times in life, God will ask you to do something that he doesn't fully prepare you for. He will say, hey, go do this. And then you walk up to it and you get there and you're like, God, I'm waiting for the magic. And God just says, just go and step on out. And you keep waiting for the magic to happen, and God says, no, just, just go and step on out. But you're like, God, I need the magic first. And God is saying, no, you get the magic when you step out. In other words, the Holy Spirit does the work through you once you step out, not before then. Preparation happens when we are intentional about doing this stuff before anyone asks us. When I was younger, I longed for opportunity, not realizing that if that opportunity would have come, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have not only benefited the people, but it would have eaten me alive. I believed I was ready, standing at the starting line, waiting for the gun to sound off, not even considering the fact that I wasn't ready. Could you imagine getting ready to run a cross-country race without shoes? Everyone would look at you, for all, all the runners out there, cross-country is a different animal, right? You can run on a track, and maybe you can survive without shoes. Cross-country... There's rocks and streams and hills and those little sticky things that are in your backyard that you know about that I don't even know what to call them, but there's those things out there. So you need shoes. You need to get some shoes if you're going to run cross country. 
But I didn't even realize, I couldn't even consider that I wasn't ready. I've heard people say that you can have youth or you can have wisdom, but you can't have both. And I don't believe that's true. You can have wisdom because God tells us that we can. Wisdom comes from God, and he gives generously to all who ask him in the book of James. But wisdom also comes from those who have done it before us. In other words, you don't always have to ask God. Sometimes you can just ask your parents. Sometimes you can just ask your spouse. Sometimes you can just ask your friends. Sometimes you can find it. In other words, you don't have to recreate the wheel. Arrogance says that I need to do this myself and recreate the wheel. And wisdom says somebody already created the wheel, so let's figure out how to use it more efficiently, more uniquely, and more frequently. And I've got to tell you this. Every time that my son won a cross-country race, I didn't get a medal, but I felt like I won. I want you to hear that. There's no medal in my trophy case. There's no medal there. However, I felt like I won. Right, Lori? We did it. We did it. We didn't do nothing. We did it. No, we didn't. We didn't do it. He did it. Way to go, kid. You did it. I mean, and by you did it, we did it. Like, we all, we all won, right? Because he ran the right pace. You got to manage your expectations. Have you ever wondered why some athletes put off retiring? Even after it's really obvious they should because most have never experienced the idea of declining performance. If you think about it, they were always the best. They were the best in elementary, middle, high school, college, and then once they get to the pros, they realize I'm in a class of peers. It never crosses their mind the idea that I can't do something or that I can't do it well. It's a harsh reality to face that you can't do all the things you used to be able to do. Paul understood that the clock was ticking and with each stroke of the clock, The question became, what would he do with those strokes? Paul had to figure out if he wanted to be the star player or if he wanted the team to win. I want you to hear me. Sometimes in your life, you will have to figure out, is this about me or is it about the team? And when you wrestle with that, I need you to know this. If it's about you, then the only one who can win is you. But if it's about the team, then you get to win as part of the team. We don't expect toddlers to read and write, and we don't expect people that are over 100 years years old to compete in marathons. So why do we struggle so hard with managing expectations? Because oftentimes our expectations are not based in reality, and they leave to disappointment. Let me bring this back down about golf, because... I told you I love golf. Golf is fun. It's expensive, but it's fun. <laughs> After that tournament, that first tournament where I, uh, I hit that drive, and, and I don't even remember what I won. I won something, and I mean, I, I thought I was the bee's knees, right? I thought I was cool stuff. And, uh, after that, so I, I told my dad, I'm like, Dad, we got to start playing golf. Let's go play golf. So we went out there, 
And uh, we went with some friends, and actually a dear friend of ours uh, has passed away since then. But um, we went out there, and I'm, I mean, I've got all the confidence in the world. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. I'm going to, every single hole, I'm going to birdie. I'm Every single one, I'm going to birdie. It's going to be a great, great day. And so I get up there, and I, I do like the cocky 18-year-old thing. And so I get up there, I, I, I point, right? I did the Babe Ruth thing. I point, I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's going right up there. So I do that, and I get up there, and uh, the guys, the carts were like to the, to the right of us. And as I get up there to hit my shot, I swing as hard as I could, like with all my 18-year-old strength. And I'm telling you, I crushed it. And when I crushed it, what I mean by crushed it is this is that I hit the ball and it went directly right as fast as I could, like right between the golf carts. Like literally like all my dad and the other guys were standing there, right? And so I hit this ball, literally they're all scrambling, like falling over the golf carts, trying not to get hit by this missile, right? That Mr. Mr. Babe Ruth over here is pointing and hitting. So what you didn't know is that the green is that way, uh, the carts are this way. And so uh, needless to say, I realized very quickly that it wasn't as good as golf as what I thought, right? And I had to kind of come to that realization that maybe I'm not as good at golf as I thought I was. I had to find a goal then, right? So if I'm not going to hit a birdie every time, then what's my goal? My goal then was to break 100, right? You know how long it took me to break 100? Years. Years thousands of dollars spent playing golf <laughs> thousands of dollars and uh to break 100 and when i did do you know how long i kept that scorecard for i kept that scorecard for years it sat in my glove box for years and years and years and years and years why because i did it i did it right now i could have lied and cheated like some golfers and be like um like every Every two shots only counts as one, right? So I made a birdie on this hole, right? You could do that, but I wanted it to be honest. And so I kept that card for a long time. And then I created a new one. And then I said, you know what? I'm gonna try to shoot in the eighties. And it took me a lot of years. And I shot an 88 one day. And I know some of you guys that don't play golf, you don't care. I'm like, what, these numbers are ridiculous. Why is he telling me about golf? That 88 was one of the proudest days of my life as a novice athlete, right? Do you, if you call golfers athletes, I don't know if you do or not, or casual walkers, right? Athletic walkers, whatever you call them, right? But I was so proud. I came home and told Lori, and she was like, that's so great, babe. I'm glad for you. And I'm like, no, I need you to, I need you to understand. So I like called some of my golf buddies, right? I'm like, guys, I shot an 88, and they're like, you shot an 88? That's incredible. And I'm like, yeah, I kept the scorecard. And they're like, yeah, I would keep it too. And it was absolutely incredible. It was a great moment in my life. But I want to tell you, it would have been really easy to just be like, that's it. I'm going to stop right here. That's as good as it can get. I'm done with golf. Sell the golf clubs, never go it again. Frame that thing. Walk away from it. Leave it. But you know, the next time I went out, you know what I shot? like a 110. A 110 is a great humbling thing in life. I'm going to close. Will you go ahead and stay with me this morning? But I want to say to you this morning, and I want to say it in, in as the clearest way I know how is this. 
talked a little bit about Tiger Woods earlier. So I wanted to close this message talking about him a little bit. He is the golf icon of our generation. He is what people reference when they say, I want to be great at golf. I want to be like Tiger. And he really did something that was really unique. He made golf golf a mainstream sport to compete with all the other mainstream sports. But if I'm honest with you, even Tiger is not Tiger anymore. If you've ever watched him recently, Tiger Woods isn't Tiger Woods anymore. Not what we would view him as compared to what he has been. The season's changed. He's got a different pace. And now he has to manage his expectations. I want to say to you this morning, if you're Timothy today, understand it is okay to be Timothy. And what I mean by that is this. If you're just starting out in something or you're not where you want to be yet, it is okay to be where you are at. It is okay to be there. In other words, you don't have to make yourself either by trying to represent something that you're not or, or be somebody who you're not. You can be where you are today and know that God is working in you right now, wherever you are. See, Tiger was Tiger before anybody knew his name. There was greatness in him before anybody saw it. Maybe outside of his dad, maybe a few high school coaches. But Tiger was Tiger before anybody knew Tiger Woods. If you're Paul today, understand it's okay to not be Timothy. Meaning if the season has changed, you're passing the baton, you're moving into something different, it is okay to not be Timothy. Because see, Tiger's presence at any PGA tournament still massively affects the crowds. And so much so that the tournament has to make special and unique arrangements for crowd control because of him simply being there. Regardless of him playing in a tournament or not, if he's simply there. As I was sitting there playing drums this morning, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, it's okay for it to look different. Some of you that have been in seasons of Paul, where you're the one investing, you're the one leading, you're the, you're the one giving orders, you're the one doing it, you're the one calling the shots. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, it is okay for it to look different. And different is not bad. Different is not bad. It's not bad. When it's what he has for you. Church, we need each other. We're not competing. The thing that has killed more churches than anything is this, is that we believe there's not enough room for me. There's not enough room for me. There's not enough room for my giftings. There's not not enough room for my personality. There's not enough space. And so if you're that, then I can't be that. I've got to be something different. And can I tell you, it is okay for you to be you. It is okay for Paul to be Paul and Timothy to be Timothy. Timothy didn't have to be Paul. Church, can I tell you, before Paul was Paul, 
there was a guy named Ananias that the Holy Spirit spoke to and said, I want you to go find this guy and pray for him. Nobody liked him. Everybody was scared of him. And God told Ananias, go get that guy and go pray for him. And I want to say to you this morning, before you recognize anything about else about life, understand this. God's got a plan. It's a big plan. It's a long plan. And he is not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. So you can get, you can try to speed it up, but God's not in a hurry. How do we have the best summer ever? Perspective. Clean the glass. And if there's fingerprints all over it, we understand, hey, there's a season coming when there won't be any fingerprints. And when the fingerprints are gone, let's have some perspective and remember, God, I'm grateful for the moments, for the seasons. I'm grateful for those fingerprints. I'm grateful that I had them. I'm grateful that I had the opportunities that I had. We pray with me this morning. Bow your heads. Three different people I just want to speak to this morning. Number one, say, Brandon, I don't even know Jesus. I don't even know God. How do I, what am I supposed to do with this? And I'll just say to you, today is the day that you can start a relationship with God. The God of the universe, the God that loved you so much that he was willing to lay down his life for you. And second, say I'm Timothy, wanting the pace to go faster and I need God's help to settle in and trust him to help me manage my expectations. And lastly, you say I'm Paul and I'm just wondering what's left. And I say to you this morning, there's plenty. There's plenty left. And if you can receive that it might look different, you might be able to find the most fulfilling moments of your life. I want to pray for you this morning. That's you this morning. You say, Brandon, I want to, I want to start a relationship with God. I don't have one. Will you do me a favor? Will you raise your hand this morning? Let me see so I can pray for you. All right. Church, will you repeat after me this morning as we pray? Jesus, come on out loud. Jesus, thank you that when I couldn't ask you to, you came looking for me, loving me, finding me, calling me by name, drawing me to yourself to let me know that you love me. Today, will you forgive my sins, cleanse my heart, and make me new in Christ's name. Jesus, I want to pray for those today, for the Timothys. Lord, I just pray today that by your spirit, by your spirit, that you would remind them that you set the pace. God, that you determine the season. God, and you're going to help them to manage the expectations. And God, for those who are in seasons of Paul, of seasons of investment, seasons where it is looking different, where the tide is changing, God, I pray that you would remind them that you were the one that called them to it. You write the script. God, you call it what it is. You give us the opportunity, God. You give, you take away. And God, you are faithful.
It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We put your hands together this morning for everything that God's doing.